Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back to the Hidden Yardage Podcast right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. I'm always joined by Sean Martin from Blog and the Boys, who does exceptional work on blogandtheboys.com. Sean, good to talk to you. Hey, appreciate that very much. Hope everybody enjoyed Masters Weekend. You know, I told myself I was going to watch some golf. I'm not much of a golf fan, but I have followed the Masters from time to time here, you know, in and out. I told myself I was going to follow it this weekend, and I really didn't, other than checking the ESPN app for, you know, Tiger's score throughout the rounds and all that. But nonetheless, a Texas native and UT alum uh, won this thing, so congratulations are in order there. But, yeah, I did not hold up my end of the bargain that I told myself by watching golf this weekend, but I know most of our listeners probably did, so hope it was enjoyable. Oh, yeah. I, I know one person who definitely was watching the Masters this weekend. Who, who's that? RJ Ochoa. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, he, he gets oh, it. Oh, you bet. He's got the grill going and his dog and his newborn son. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some good times down there in the Ochoa household. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I wonder if he's going to mention it at all when he talks with Tony Casillas on the 7-5-0 on Tuesday, which you can catch right here on the Blog and the Boys podcast network on either Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, or Stitcher, which is where you can also find the Hidden Yardage podcast. You know, Sean, I'm not really one. I'm not really a golfer, and a lot of it has to do with my father who just said that Golf involves way too much, and, you know, he just didn't really encourage golf so much. But when I got to be an adult, after I got out of college, I think golf is, forget a game, I think it is the greatest networking tool in the world. It's like LinkedIn were a sport, because you can cut down the seven degrees of separation to like two that's what i've learned from talking with a bunch of avid golfers both you know amateurs and pros is it just cuts down the seven degrees of separation and i mean you can make contacts real quickly yeah there's a somewhat like short list of things right that you can invite people to when you like first getting to know them or if like you're trying to keep a professional setting so if you don't golf like me, like that list gets even shorter, right? So, you know, there's like, oh, let's go to a bar. But then there's a social pressure of like some people might not drink and all that. And then you can't invite them to golf and things like that. So, yeah, I have not had golf as an option. Uh, I may be trying top golf sometime soon with some friends here in Austin. Uh, so that would be enjoyable. But besides that, yeah, you won't really see me on the golf course. When I lived in New Jersey, I used to kayak on the river that was by my house and I would go right past a golf a golf course in a town called Manasquan, but you know, other than that, uh, my summertime and outdoor activities included the beach and the water and things like that, other than golf. Yeah, and being from Jersey, I mean, Tony Soprano, he golfed, as we all know. In, um, well, I, I know a lot of golfers, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when Carmine threw his golf club, his golf clubs in the driveway and he inadvertently ran over them. Yeah, so I did not watch nearly as much Masters uh, as I planned on. You know, my dad's retired now, and he's always been active. And you mentioned, you know, your dad's perspective on golf. So we've I've always kind of joked with him that he would take up golf, and he's always adamantly said he never would, and he certainly hasn't now. But he's found other ways to stay active, playing some other sports, uh, and also uh, being a big motorcycle rider as well. So he hasn't had a need for golf. I certainly don't see myself ever getting into golf, and that's just how it's gone. I, like I said, I would get into golf, but I mean, I don't have time for even the fun things that 
I want to do. But so, so did you play golf when you were like when you lived in Dallas? I mean, I don't know what the Arkansas golf scene is like, but I know Dallas has a lot of nice courses because I see everybody on Twitter there all the time. Um, you know, it's a funny thing, and don't worry, folks, we will be getting to Dallas Cowboys content momentarily. <laughs> yeah, it's but okay. I actually live not too far from a a golf course. Um, it's called. I think Eagle Crest or something like that. And my first cousin, once removed husband, <laughs> is the manager of it. Of, a, of you know, like I think it's either nine or eighteen. I think it may be an eighteen-old course, but nevertheless, that's what I'm saying is, it's right there to get into golf. I just don't have the time because I'm trying to figure out constantly because the the NFL is a year-round sport, just sometimes they play games. I'm trying to figure out what the Dallas Cowboys are doing with their draft intentions, um, what they have tried to accomplish in free agency, and how much of their pat phrases and everything have any meaning at all. And so, you know, and, and then doing this podcast and just like I said, Working sixty hours a week, I just don't have time for golf. But um, but once I have time for fun, like I said, I definitely take it. Even though I know I would, it would just be left, right, left, right. When I hit the ball, you know, I know that there'd be some struggles starting out, but I would, I would get into it. Yeah, it feels like just a super intimidating thing to start out with, right? Like, I'm not an athlete. That's why I went down this path of trying to just be around sports without playing them. And, you know, without that, like, yeah, I could probably swing and hit a golf ball, but, like, I know I wouldn't hit it far enough, and I damn sure know it's not going to go straight. So, like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, don't worry. Larry Bird wasn't an athlete either. He just won <laughs> three NBA championships. But, uh, Sean, you know, the NFL draft – it is it is imminent. It's like Planet X coming through the solar system, and it's imminently going to be in our orbit. Um, what have you made so far of the Cowboys' draft visits, guys that they've brought in? Who are some guys that they've brought in that have you optimistic that Will McClay and the scouting department, combined with Mike McCarthy, uh, coach turned scout uh, is going to get this thing right. Well, if you compare their pre-draft visitors to their lackluster off-season acquisitions so far with what they've done and the limited free agency period that they took place in and the you know, players that they also let go, you know, it's screaming, and we've been talking about this since episode one, it seems, it's screaming that they're going to go offensive line sometime early on, of course, and early on could very well mean right there with that 24th overall pick. And they've brought in guys who, you know, some who might be alongside to be there. My latest scouting report on bloggingtheboys.com is Charles Cross, the tackle from Mississippi State, where there are some mock drafts that most recently might give you a little bit glimmer of hope that he's there for the Cowboys because there was even a mock draft where he fell all the way out of the first round, apparently. But early on, he was a top 10, top 15 type of player. And, I turned on the tape and certainly saw that. Not a polished, finished product, but the traits are outstanding. And, you know, he has he has the Tyron Smith look to him where his arms just go on forever and he, he throws guys to the ground and certainly a great prospect there. Now, I also... Yeah, wrote, Charles Cross, That I was talking with somebody and I said, he sure looks uh, lean yeah. for an offensive lineman. And, and that's exactly what I said was he reminds me of Tyron Smith coming out which is just this long-armed man, you know, not one of those big fat boys, just someone with really long arms and it is just built and cut. And, yeah, that's so that, it's interesting you said that too. The unfortunate thing is we've been talking for, you know, a couple of draft cycles now for the Cowboys where it's kind of a thought in the back of your head that maybe should be in the forefront of, hey, it's, maybe, maybe it's time to get Tyron's replacement in here. Hey, maybe you need to tackle the future. And if you can play a little bit of guard on the way, you know, that's all good and fine. And there's different ways to sneak that death onto the roster before you, 
you know, draft a guy who's going to sit behind Tyron and what we thought would be Lyle Collins, but right now it's Terrence Steele at right tackle. And I did write in that cross-scouting report that, you know, maybe as great as a prospect as I think he is, maybe this isn't the year where the Cowboys have that luxury or anywhere close to it to say that they can draft a tackle that won't immediately step in and make an impact. Certainly not the type of impact that a guard, would they need a left guard or a center would. Everybody still talks about Tyrell Linderbaum from Iowa. And then these we got a long list of these inside interior players that they've brought in, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson. The list goes on for guards that could step in, fill, you know, for a player like Connor McGovern, who is certainly more replaceable right now than a Tyron Smith or a Terrence Steele. Yeah, and getting back to Charles Cross for a moment, um, yeah, it may be a dream that he's there for Dallas at number 24 because Aaron Wilson from the Pro Football Network, who, you know, when he's really become more of a national guy in his role with the Pro Football Network. But nevertheless, these national guys, you got to watch where they came from. For example, Ian Rappaport came from New England. Um, who's the guy with Monday morning quarterback? Albert Breer. He mm-hmm. came from New England. Uh, Adam Schefter came from Denver. Um, Jason Lockenfora came from Washington. So when they get specific on a team, it's like, hey, that makes some sense. Anyway, he released a mock draft, and he had Houston at taking cross at 13. Nine picks before they can get he can get to Dallas. Or I'm bad with math on a, uh, 11 picks. picks before. No, 11. We both get it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, the point is, yeah, it would be a dream because it does look like right there in the teens – there could be a team that takes cross. You know, um, Zion Johnson, I don't know that I would like him at number 24 overall. He's one of those where I would want to get cute and try to do a trade back and get some value and then pick him up on the 32 or 31 so I have that fifth-year option available. Um, but I'm guessing but you wouldn't trade away from a guy like Green then. So if Green is there, you're sticking. Green is in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Green is in. And a Texas product, Texas A&M prospect, of course. Oh, don't say Texas, but you. Good thing you said you quickly said Texas A&M product. Was that like a thing? Hey, I got a question about that. What is like yeah. in Texas? You got Texas and Texas A&M. What is the big one in Jersey? With colleges or even college, it's really. I mean, the the recent recency bias. Everybody that watched March Madness will say St. Peter's, but I lived there for twenty plus years and don't know a single person that ever went to St. Peter's. So the only answer here is Rutgers. Yeah. Okay, Rutgers and but who's their rival? Uh, well, they're in the Big Ten now, and you know when they first got there, they were getting crushed by all these big schools. Uh, so, um. Like Maryland, I guess, a little bit. But back they... in the day, like, who was their rival? Oh, they were in the old Big East for basketball and all that, and it was awesome. I mean, you'd have UConn coming in with Jim Calhoun, those teams, and Seton Hall right, right up in North Jersey, and all those old Big East matchups, Villanova. Okay, and so Rutgers-Seton Hall, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Hey, you know, Mark Bryant, he played at Seton Hall. He was a forward for the Portland Trailblazers. And I, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but nevertheless. Seton Hall, the last few years, has been scared to play Rutgers. I have a friend who, he's a student at NC State, but he's the most diehard, oil, knows everything about Rutgers athletic fans you'll ever meet. And, yeah, he just loves the fact that Seton Hall basketball has been, like, almost scared to play Rutgers because every time they play there, they just seem to get crushed, even though Seton Hall is usually the better team. At least it, it should be close, but they can't handle playing it the home field advantage that Rutgers has put together. Yeah, and it's it's the same kind of thing with Texas and Texas A&M. In football, they just avoid each other. Since they've uh, since A&M left the Big 12, they've played each other in some of the other sports. I think they even had a series or just a one-gamer midweek a couple weeks ago in baseball. Um, but, did. yeah, that's the same kind of thing. But, yeah, with an Aggie, 
I would say Kenyon Green at 24. No questions. I might even trade up at 22 or 21 because I think he's the linchpin to getting the great wall of Dallas back on track. I'm surprised you haven't brought up Traylon Burks yet. You know, you've brought him up in some past episodes, and at that point there wasn't a whole lot of buzz about him being a guy that Dallas would really look at. And so I kind of shot it down because I'm not as high on him as certainly some other draft NOSR. And now there's buzz about him actually being the pick, and I figured you'd be pounding the table for it. But no uh, no Burks talk yet. No, look, hey. I don't think that this is a strong receiver class, so to speak. Well, I would take this USC would, kid, the Drake London. He yeah, Drake be- London. Yeah, he's good um, at the point catch. Um, but there's no one that's really like – I can take the 20 draft, for example. You had Justin Jefferson. You had CeeDee Lamb. I mean, that was a receiver-heavy draft – really talented guys in that particular class. I just don't get the impression from this class that they'll be able to make an impact immediately. Um, like I said, like the way that um, Trey, so the way Kenyon Greenwood for the offensive line, or like I said, you do the trade back, you get Zion Johnson. I think Dak Prescott has enough weapons that – you can't – I mean, you signed Michael Gallup, who is recovering from an ACL injury, okay? What do you need to use your first-round pick on a receiver for is all I'm saying. Well, because Gallup – first of all, you're probably not going to have Gallup for your first couple games. Okay, so if you did take that first-round receiver, then you're expecting him to basically be a half Gallup until Gallup gets back. Well, I'm not sure how fair that is, but, I mean, it's just a matter of, like, I think 2018 is still recent enough in some Cowboys fans' minds where if you roll out there week one and your starting three is C.D. Lamb, James Washington, and, you know, Simi Fajoko slash draft pick, and it's not a first-round draft pick at that, it's like, all right, here we go. And then, you know, first and ten of, inviting 10 guys down to the box to run it with Ezekiel Elliott for two yards. And then they get a soft box and they still can't run it. It's, you know, it's going to bring back nothing but bad memories. from not only, like I said, 2018, which is a, should be a fading memory, but even this past season, you went through some of those struggles and you better prove early on here that you fixed those things. Cause they were, you know, they were consistent down the stretch of the season. Right. And I don't know that Traylon Barks necessarily would, fix that oh, I agree. plus I'm looking long term and you've got CD Lamb so I think CD Lamb should at least offset some of that as opposed to when it was in 2018 and it was hey the committee of Terrence Williams, Cole Beasley, Alan Hearns and Deontay Harris. Oh man. <laughs> and they opened And it. they sold that though, Sean. They, they sold started that. that season at Carolina, yeah. Carolina Panthers shut you down in week one and never really got a whole lot better until, of course, Amari Cooper showed up. That was a, that was weird, though. It was a weird um, start to season because then they would have games like they did against Jacksonville where they crushed them 40-7. to And it's like, where was this offensive output from? Well, so, we, we did this last year, though, and I know I mentioned this before on a past episode, but we did this last year with the hyping up this team when they beat a bad team, and we're not going to keep doing it. So, Are there any defensive guys that Dallas brought in for a visit that piqued your curiosity or piqued your interest? Oh, Jordan Davis. I mean, I think every team would be interested in him, but for the Cowboys to be interested in the defensive tackle out of Georgia – Says a little bit more, we would think, just because of their draft history of not really valuing the the big run-stuffing, nose-tackle-type defensive tackles. It, it certainly is a missing piece on this defense and one that you'd like to have, especially when you have some promising young pass-rush-type defensive tackles and guys like Chauncey Goldstein and also Diggy Zua. You, know, you pair them with Jordan Davis, and you really might be getting the most out of your young, your young core on defense and how a guy like Davis even helps Parsons get to the quarterback and 
run around at linebacker and all those good things. So he's on the list, but who knows if he'll even be available or if the Cowboys will pull the trigger if he's sitting there at 24. Uh, you have other guys defensively trying to score down. For another Texas A&M name, DeMarvin Leal, is going to be kind of an, in an interesting spot to grab, you know, there in the second round, if he makes it to your pick, he's a high-value pick who's not going to see your third-round selection there in the 80s for the Cowboys. So, DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M, upside guy, pass rush potential when rushing on the inside, has some edge traits, sets the edge well, good at the point of attack. But are those things that this team values enough right now based on what they lost this offseason on the defensive line to invest another pick that high there and pass on – one of offensive line or receiver there, whichever they don't take in the first round, that's going to be interesting to see with a guy like Leal. Devin Oyd, of course, the linebacker to Utah, is falling nicely into the reins to maybe be the first or second linebacker off the board, but still in that 20, 15 to 20 range where the Cowboys could have a shot at him. Didn't they have um, Michael Clemens come in for a visit? Did I see that? Let's see. I'm not seeing a Michael Clemens on. Okay, I might have saw someone's tweet where they, you know, said that he should go or whatever. But nevertheless, even if that wasn't the case, that's someone from Texas A&M that I think Dallas should take a look at. And here's something else that I wonder what they do. Because like you said, they're not going to draft a defensive tackle. I mean, they're not going to do these things. Um, but what I wonder is how much of what they're doing right now is actually completing the notebook, the scouting notebook on these guys so they can go back when they're available, whether when they're at the end of their rookie contract uh, and spend or, money in free agency, uh, well trade for them or <laughs> pick them up, you know, cause we've seen that before where they go get guys and they say that, you know, we liked them coming out of college. And so you, you just wonder how much of, you know, you wonder if that's what they're utilizing these visits for is for the future. That's a great point. And some of these visits as well as it gives you some depth on your board in terms of, you know, when you're sitting there and you're, indecisive on where to go with you know a pick even as early as your first rounder at 24 and you're looking at it saying you know one coach is pounding the table for a receiver and then the counter argument for the guy who doesn't want a receiver is man look at those names that are still going to be there in the second or third these are all starters too the value is not there because you brought in a guy you know and you talk to him and you know and you're confident in your evaluation that he can be that starter so you know we mentioned cross i think he's a good example of that you might not have a shot at Charles Cross, but it helps you build that stack at tackle where you're saying, okay, we we're impressed by Cross. He checked every box. We know that, you know, he's your all pro type of future starter. He went before us. So now do we need to jump in and get a tackle right now? Because how much worse does it get as you move on from Cross? And if you don't have that perspective on where, you know, the best player is at every position, it, uh, it kind of helps everything else fall into place. You did bring in, a tackle that's popping up in more and more mock drafts out of Central Michigan, Bernard Raymond. He's a plug-and-play starter uh, that you might be able to bring in there at the 24th pick. I don't know how many fans would be really thrilled about that, but he is popping up in more mock drafts, so keep an eye out on that. Yeah, and it, again, I, I just think that uh, they're using some of these visits to figure out, to just kind of track these guys. I don't mean to use a cheesy Star Wars reference, but it's kind of like at the end of Episode 1 where Senator Palpatine told Anakin Skywalker, who blew up the droid whatever, and he said, we will watch your career with great interest. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. 
To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Ready for a spring break to remember? Amtrak's got just a ticket for you and your crew. With share fares, you and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring D.C., Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Savings start with three travelers. Eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com slash sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. And that leads me to the next topic on the Hidden Yardage podcast, which, as I said, you can find on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher, is uh, pat football phrases that <laughs> that may arc us a little bit. You know, Sean and I, we canvassed Twitter, and we canvassed internally here at Blogging the Boys, and we also collaborated to come up with a list of football phrases that are bandied about that just might rub you the wrong way because you hear them so often. So we're going to go ahead and kick off the list with the term tweener. What, how do you feel about tweener? Yeah, I'm not much of a fan. You know, when I started getting into draft stuff, it was the 2018 draft cycle and you you start to pick up on the terminology and all these terms quickly and you try to use them in your writing and, boil it down to where all fans can make it accessible and not get too much in the weeds. But even at this point, doing this four years later, I don't, I, I don't really get what tweener means. So that's why I think it's a, it's a worthy term to lead off this list. I get the general sense of like what somebody does mean when they use it, but I can't put a firm definition on, you know, why I would have to use that to describe a player because it doesn't really fit a whole lot of things. Yeah, for me, it is. It, it To me, it sounds like someone that doesn't fit in. That's what it sounds like. Because if you had somebody that, um, let's take Debo Samuel, for example. Contract-wise, I'm talking, contract-wise. is he? Are you going to pay him as a running back? Or are you going to pay him as a wide receiver? He's kind of a tweener, you know? Yeah, right, there's so many words that, fit better you know like he's flexible he's multi-positional he's diverse anything you want to say other than tweener i me and you we at least we could be in agreement on this one would be a fan of okay all right next one scheme fit this one i did i did warn you i'm gonna fight you on some of these um i mean i i'm not gonna go all the way on you know pounding the table for scheme fit uh, if you haven't noticed, by the way, throughout this show, I've been trying to work in ones that were going to come up on this list. <laughs> um, but you know, scheme fit, you know, I'm guilty of using it. So make it at what you will. Um, I understand it. I do think the Cowboys are guilty of being too married to their scheme sometimes where they pass on just players that can flat out play because they believe more in the coach that has installed a scheme that isn't working than a player that can really help them. And that's been the same. Um, But yeah, scheme fit. I understand my caveat and I, where I would hope you, you would go by putting it on this list is that I don't think the average NFL fan has a great understanding of what actually goes into the word scheme. They just think, you know, the very basic run team, pass team defense, are they strong in the pass or also the secondary, like very split down the middle. That's what scheme is. But really everything comes down to scheme. I mean, there's very specific calls for every single type of protection and coverage and more than even the advanced fans care to understand. So scheme means a lot more than the way it gets thrown around in today's NFL, and that's why I think it's on this list. Yeah, for me, scheme fit, though, is what the Cowboys or teams try to use to sell fans on the idea that well, you know, that's uh, why we took the guy we did that didn't work out, that there was somebody better on the board to take, and you totally passed on him because, you know, he's a scheme fit, you know, and it's about scheme, and, and he fits scheme. So that's why I put scheme fit on there is because it just seems to be an excuse for poor scouting or poor decision-making 
and being married to your scheme as opposed to taking the best player available. Yeah, players players win you games. I mean, tell me the scheme that has Mika Parsons playing pass rush and then on one snap and then a linebacker the next. There is none. It's just Dan Quinn being smart enough to say, this is what this guy can do and we're going to let him do it. So players like that win you games and that's why scheme fit should be what it is. Yeah. So there you go. Scheme fit. All right, moving on. We like our guys. That was almost the name of this podcast, by the way. Yeah, it almost was. We were deliberating on ideas for the podcast. I was, was I was not a fan of going forward with that. I don't know how you felt, but I I definitely uh, thought we could come hey, up. Hey, I was just th- I I was just trying to get a name out there because no, that was, that was, that was RJ man. suggestion. That wasn't you that brought up. We like our guys as, as the name, but yeah, but uh, here's, here's the funny thing about, we like our guys, which is there is about 20 guys that turn over on NFL, 20 to 30 guys. No, about 20 that turn over on NFL rosters each year. So that just proves that there's other guys that you like other guys, not just your guys. Yeah, the roster churn really is remarkable when you look at it like that. You know, another thing that the average fan might not realize. And, you know, you try to memorize, like, who's going to be out there. And then half the time, you don't even realize how many of them are new and how many of them got acquired through, you know, late round picks or undrafted free agency. And the path to the NFL is so multi dimensional for, you know, for rosters that get turned over at the rate that you just said. So. Yeah, that's what makes this sport so amazing is just the amount of bodies that come through these teams year in and year out is never-ending. And so that's why getting stuck on just liking the guys that you currently have uh, is a term that is going to land on this list. <laughs> and then due diligence. I have made it a point not only to bring that up on this show, but my past couple of scouting reports that I've published on bloggingtheboys.com, I have, they've been based on the Cowboys' 30 visits. And that's going to continue as we get closer to the draft. So if you want to read up on just the guys that Dallas is really focusing on, uh, not only me, but a few of our other scouts on the staff will be taking care of you that way. But to look at that, um, you know, due diligence to say that the team is doing their due diligence on a guy, nobody, not even the smartest insiders in the world, know what it means because we were told as Cowboys fans to believe that this team did a due diligence on a guy like Devontae Parker and Vaughn Miller. And meanwhile, your best offseason signing is probably, you know, James Washington. So that's why due diligence is on this list, right? Yeah, it it is. Also, because due diligence, is, it just seems like one of those phrases that, let me put it to you this way. Um, I knew, I knew a guy who was, you know, when an argument with his girlfriend and he decided to deploy a phrase that um, the president at that time had used, which was mistakes were made. <laughs> because, you know, as opposed to apologizing for something that, you know, didn't really want to feel like apologizing, he said. So... You know, it's it's kind of like that. Due diligence is kind of like one of those pat phrases you use to just simmer down an argument or get people to quit putting the spotlight on you. Is well, you know, there's these free agents out here, and you know, there's these draft picks that uh, we like that uh, everybody likes and wants you to draft them because they could turn around the franchise. And we're gonna, you know, do our due diligence. I mean, of course you're going to do your due diligence. Whatever. That's why you have the house you do in on Mockingbird Lane. I, I'm sorry. Whatever that, whatever due diligence even means. I was going to ask how how you would have felt if that was the name of our podcast. If you want to calm down, but yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I would take due diligence. Here's another one. High upside. See this one, I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna fight you on this one. Uh, I am a fan of using upside in all scouting conversations when it's applicable, all terms. My very first college radio hit, talking draft. I'm pretty sure I used upside 
and it made me sound way smarter than I was at the time, and everybody was impressed. Um, but nonetheless, I, I am a fan of using the turn upside. I am looking forward to seeing what you have to say uh, as far as why you don't like it and why it's on this list. To me, it's just one of those pat phrases and kind of like when people um, have sort of a tulipomaniacal reaction to things, and it's just you could use a better word than high upside. You could say that he has a great area of potential. But that's like um, uh, that's like five words to say something that could be done with two. I mean, every writer knows to not do do that. So, oh, hey, that's just like on the fly. Okay, I'm just saying the high upside, which I think comes from the scouting world, because these guys speak in dependent clauses and prepositional phrases. Um, and that's what I'm saying. High upside. It just, it sounds like someone, you know, is like long legged and they've got a short torso. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for any listeners out there that are a fan of high upside and want to continue to see it used, you can, you can follow along with me on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL and we'll keep using upside there. Yeah. And you can, Tag me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane hashtag high upside <laughs> and you know fine you know we'll see we'll we'll, we'll let uh, we'll let democracy solve this Sean episode eleven of hidden yardage has high upside ah there we go okay this is another one um, this is a combo from our good friend Tom Ryle and it's I put you know insert all pro starter kit which is what they put on scouting reports or also a variation of that which is what tom suggested poor man's all pro what do you think of those phrases yeah the poor man's thing is another scouting kind of a crutch that i'm not a fan of you know it's like another one is if you i hear radio hosts and whatnot say you know if you squint hard enough you'll see this guy who's currently in the league when you look at this prospect, you might not be quite there yet, but the potential is there, the upside is there. And, you know, I'm not a fan of either of those. Again, some of the things we've been mentioning with these other terms, it just feels lazy. It feels like there's a better use out there. And it's another one that doesn't really quite fit any player because, you know, we don't know these things in the context of when we use them when it comes to, you know, is he actually an all-pro? Well, who the hell knows? Is he, you know, and what's in this mythical starter kit that you know that makes a player ready to jump in and be an all pro more than any other player that we don't use that term for because you don't you don't see it used that often but yeah anytime it comes out it definitely feels suspect and like something could have been used better in its place to me it sounds like something a used cars salesman turned scout would say (laughs) okay just well right here we've got a randy moss starter kit it really does what um why not like Randy Moss? Um, can can we get Randy Moss, you know? Or just imagine if on a scouting report someone called you a poor man's Troy Aikman. Do you remember when okay. those starter kit memes what does that like... mean? That means that I'm Bill Musgrave? I mean what, what just... <laughs> Should I go get a uh, Troy Aikman eight beer to uh, to celebrate that? But yeah, do you I was going to say, do you remember when those upside memes were, or not upside, um, starter kit memes were a thing? Like, it was just like four pictures and it'd be like the New Jersey starter pack and it was like, you know, some dude in a bucket hat or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. Another one from our good friend Tom Ryle, who, by the way, you can hear Thursdays on the Blog and the Boys podcast network, riled up with Roy White and Tom Ryle. You can find that Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher and also blogintheboys.com. He, his last one he suggested was Grinder. Hmm, yeah. That's, I, I feel like I've used it a couple of times in my scouting, but yeah, that's one I try to pass on. I'm with you and Tom on that. Uh, yeah, Grinder doesn't do much for me. It doesn't make much sense in terms of a football term. To me, it says that the guy's got no talent, but he's got work ethic. But um, it, in order to have longevity... I you know I mean some you could have Bill Bates. Bill Bates was a grinder, okay. But you've got to have the ability 
to stay on the field, which is what Bill Bates had. So you can't just be a grinder. You better okay. Let me put it this way: if you're a grinder, you better not get injured. I mean, you better not even have a a a, a hamstring during training camp. Making the NFL okay. is so astronomically hard that like every player goes through a grind that we know nothing about as far as keeping their body ready. And like you said, trying to avoid even the smallest of injuries through all of the OTAs and training camp and preseason and regular season. So it's so difficult to even have a vision that you want to make the NFL to anyone that's actually done it for whether it's a day or week or a full season or more has grinded to a level that the word grinder doesn't even encapsulate because it gets thrown around like a lazy term. Like, yeah, he's grinding out there and maybe he'll make the roster, but you know, it should apply to really everybody out there in the NFL. And thank God it doesn't. Cause like we both said, we're not a fan of using that in our football work. Yeah. And then here's one that you contributed. And I, I agree with you. When now, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I mean, we're getting we're getting down to the draft where teams' draft picks can be explained by, oh, are they trying to win now, win later type of thing? And in the NFL, I think teams fall for the trap of feel, feeling like they have to go win now before they're really ready to, and maybe you draft a quarterback onto a team that has so many other needs that even if that quarterback's ready to perform right away, you know, they can't. the team can't get to where they want to go because of not only – a rookie quarterback trying to learn, but everything else going on around the team. So you fall into that trap of feeling like you need to immediately put your name in the ring and get that quarterback, which is the position that you absolutely need the most if you are going to win now. So it doesn't fit. Every team is out here trying to win. Yeah, some teams are doing a horrible job of it. We get that. We know that. And somebody will probably quote tweet this and say that the Cowboys fall into that category. But nonetheless, you know, win now uh, is a stupid term, and not only football, but every other sport out there. Yeah, because the name of the game is to win. Not to be Herm Edwards, but, I mean, you play to win the game. Yes. And But really, I think, even though it's a pat phrase and we're making fun of it, I think a team that embodies win – well, really, the two teams that embody win now are Cincinnati Bengals and the L.A. Rams – and it worked out for them, but that is when now because they signed free agents, the Bengals did, the Rams over the course of the past few years, uh, they traded for Jalen Ramsey, they acquired Von Miller, they bring in Odell Beckham Jr., and that's what I'm saying is that's when now, not you know, when you're just sitting there with your quarterback and counting cap space. Right, and, you know, the Bengals are going to have the opportunity, opportunity to try to build a roster and progress off of what they did this past year, getting to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow still on his rookie contract. So we've talked about how much of an advantage that can be, and I think there are a lot of casual fans or even serious fans, of course, that if they don't, if they don't see their team contending, you know, the Bengals kind of became a – I'm not going to say America's team, of course, but they became, you know, a kind of a Cinderella, a sweetheart type of team. The nation's fancy. Yes, uh, for a lot of people who have only ever remembered the Bengals as a losing franchise, so they have a chance these next couple of years to really do something special with Joe Burrow. Yeah, and uh, I think if you have a – okay, you have a quarterback on a rookie contract who has proven he is the guy early it's win now mode because it doesn't get any easier after that once he signs his extension and here we go next one on the list checks all the boxes yeah i mean again it's another crutch type of term that i'm guilty of using occasionally it is one i try to avoid so it does why can't you fill in all the ovals like on the sat like those scantron things yeah i forget I, I used to have tests where I think it may, maybe college, I don't remember, but like there, there was there was one where instead of a circle, it was like a rectangle. You probably know what I'm talking about. Like you had to shade in like a little box rectangle type thing. Yeah, that's a scantron. The, I think. No, but the scantrons are ovals or like circle. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. 
but there's one right. but there's one specific one that's like a rectangle and those are terrible i just want to say i need to put out there into the into the world that the rectangle ones suck that's all i'm saying uh, okay so when stephen jones is um saying that Dorrance Armstrong checks all the boxes. Is he cert- is he filling in those little rectangles or the <laughs> ovals? Oh man, is that like asking my opinion on Armstrong? Uh, I mean, I'll say rectangles. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, what do you think Stevens doing? Well, I mean, they're, they're counting on him to replace a guy like Gregory, who there's no excuse for why you lost him. So we're gonna say rectangles in this case. <laughs> okay. All right, and. Here's another, and we move on to the next one. Stand on the table. This is used um, in scouting and drafting where you really like a guy, so you want to make your case, so you stand on the table for him. So I do really like a variation of this term. I usually say pound the table or like, you know, uh, yes, yeah, some variation of stand on the table or pound the table. But I do prefer pound the table or bang the table or something like that. So yeah, stand on the table could be a fun visual though like you know picture like the current cowboy staff who can you most picture actually jumping on a physical table like is it dan quinn with the backwards baseball cap is it john fossil up there so stand on the table can have some fun with that one well yeah that's what i'm saying is okay i weigh at my best 165 pounds if i got on a table i would just you know, be worried about whether or not it can support a grown man and <laughs> gyrating and everything, making his case for a draft pick. And then when I hear Brian Broadus using this term about, you know, I you know, got on the table, I stood on the table, I imagine just that was a heck of a table. <laughs> or, or, or just really, he really wanted them to take that guy because that's really – you know, I mean, that's really chancing it. Like I said, I wouldn't even get on a table. My so, absolute favorite that, broadest thing in relation to this term is he will dive way deep into the philosophy of uh, throwing pens in the war room. So there's two different types of pen throws. I've learned this from broadest. So there's like using it in the same context almost as standing on the table where like you're kind of throwing your pen to make a, emphasize a point where like, we need to take this guy and you like slam the pen down. So that's one type of thing, but then he'll. Oh, okay. So basically you gronk the pen is what you're saying. Yeah. So like they're spiking a pen and then, but there's a whole philosophy. Like I said, there's another term he'll talk about, which I just love. And it's when this is a very specific scenario, but it's when a team ahead of you takes a guy that you were worried your team might take, but you didn't really want to a guy, you know, you were high on and another team saves you from having to even make that choice, but you want to, you know, you want to stay in good grace with your fellow scouts. So you don't want to be like, Oh man, I'm glad I can't believe they took him. He was terrible when they, when your fellow scouts think he was good, of course. So you want to fall in line with knowing that he was another good prospect, even though you're glad he's off the board. So you throw your pen like, Oh damn, we missed out on this guy. But in the back of your head, you're, it it was a fake, it, it was an acting job. So, he talks about that sometimes, and I, I find that really, really enjoyable. That, that's genius. I'm going to have to try the, that. The, in fake, real life. the fake pen throw will change your life. No, no. You could seriously, let's say, for example, um, you, you, you weren't able to make the in-laws barbecue, and they're from – up north so they consider a barbecue to be hot dogs on a grill. Is that, is, that, is that some Josie slander? What are we doing here? No, no, that's more like Illinois slander, uh, okay. Ohio slander. I'm with you. I'm with um, you. And, yeah, so then you don't get in, not invited to that, but it just doesn't work out and you don't get to go to it. Oh, yeah, you throw the pin for that. that yep, I so like that one. You got the context. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right, and here's one goat. This is one of your contributions. Yeah, I'm with you on GOAT. It's just overused. And look, I like the guy. I He really was the Mr. Cowboy of the millennium. But when, like Jason Garrett, I mean, Jason Winton is called GOAT. You know, the GOAT. Is, is he really? I, I think it might be, you know, Rob Gronkowski or... 
Tony Gonzalez. Okay. It is so, overused and like it's so hard to define. There's so little context that ever gets thrown around when you hear goat. Like it just I just picture like, you know, the dude in a baseball cap at a bar, like who's had a couple too many beers, like just pointing at the TV saying, oh, oh, this guy's the goat and this is the goat of this sport. And what do you mean? This guy's not the goat. And like just getting into arbitrary goat debates without even knowing what he's talking about because you have to take into context so many things. If you're going to discuss, you know, who's the best at anything, what time period and what position and what stats and all that. So like, yeah, that type of nuanced discussion can be great. You know, we have a podcast right here where we do a lot of those things, but all of that gets thrown out the window and you just start throwing around goat this, goat that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's definitely overused. And uh, here's another one, big board. It, it, my, it, my, my thing with it is if there's a big board, then that implies there is a little board, right? Yes, yeah, so I work a full-time job outside of doing this, so my draft big boards these years, you know, these past couple of years, I looked more like a little board, but we're still working through this Cowboys 30 visit list for you over on our homepage of our site, and, you know, I'm proud of some of the work that is going into that. But you sent me you sent me this to add to the list for the show tonight uh, while I was at that job today, and uh, yeah, definitely got a good laugh out of that, so we appreciate it, but yeah, the the big board. I yeah, this is another one. I'm not going to fight you on it. I'm not that passionate about it, but you know, I don't see a problem with the term. Uh, I guess you are right that it doesn't apply as a little board, and we've never heard that before in scouting circles or in the NFL. But yeah, big board. It's because it's a physically big thing. It's like teams go into a war room, which sounds so dramatic, but you know, it's the NFL, so it's cool. But they physically go into a place that everybody knows is the war room, and in the war room is a big board. So, you know, those things are kind of cool. Yeah. I would figure it, the, that the board would already be big because we're talking about, you know, 300 picks. Yeah. But you can't just, okay. you can't just be like, here's my board. Like, that's boring as hell. You can't just be like, hey, here's a board with some things. Like that doesn't even imply that it's a board of football players. It could just be a piece of plywood at that point. Oh, okay. So when you say big board, then that implies that it's dry erase markers, huh? Well, it implies that it's a football, you know, since I talk draft, like it implies that it's a big board in the context of the NFL draft. But like, if you're just using the word board, that costs it over, you know, about a million other uses. But yeah, you put big in front of it. And now I'm like, okay, we're making some players and we're having some fun on this whiteboard. I still think there should be, if we're going to have a big board, there needs to be a little board because then that's where you can put your undrafted free agents. Um, you know, I, I do. I think there should be a little board if there's going to be a big board. Well, when you were scouting director for the Cowboys, I look forward to texting you and getting some inside info on what's on the little board. If I were scouting director of the Dallas Cowboys. Traylon Burks would be the pick at 24. I would get undermined so much. <laughs> except when, okay. except when standing no, on the table, standing on the would, table for Traylon right. Burks. I would be on the table <laughs> saying draft a Kyle Hamilton. Well, Sell it all out and get Kyle Hamilton. Well, there you That's go. That's the kind of stuff I'd do. And somebody, yeah. would be, somebody would be throwing the pen as a, as a charade. I would be gronking all of Office Depot's pen supply. <laughs> okay. Like, you know. I'll give you a name and safety real quick. And this Lewis sign out of Georgia would be a guy that hopefully is in range for you to grab in the second or third. That wouldn't be a bad pick, but I doubt it happens. But Yeah, I, I agree. Um, because with sign, you, he can be an impact safety. And who I compare him to is kind of like who the Chiefs just signed in Justin Reed. He's somebody that can be solid for you. Somebody that's not, you know, going to give up big plays and he can develop within your system. I think if they picked up sign, that would be a good sign as to the direction. But, uh, uh, yeah, if I were scouting, if I were scouting director of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, they need to make a song like that. Um, uh, kind of like in the theme of Fiddler on the Roofs, um, <laughs> if I were 
rich man's right, son. Right. Kind of like that. If I were the scouting director of the Dallas Cowboys, I'd do it, do it, do it, do it. All day long. Okay, sorry. Here we go. And finally, run to set up the pass. This one is particularly poignant with Cowboys fans because not only does it not make sense, and then there's fans constantly trying to argue with the ones who do think it makes sense about the marriage of it, but the team itself has told us that, you know, at times they've tried to team build this way, and it's how they think about scheming the offense, and you don't need me to tell you that's a problem. So that's why this is going to wrap up our list here, because wanting to set up the pass by all analytics and just by everybody's own two eyes watching NFL Sundays just doesn't happen. It's not how things work. It's not It's not going to be how they work. Uh, and it has a worthy spot on our list here. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it, what a 1990s thing to say. And then some of this stuff I feel like assumes that Cowboys fans don't watch the rest of the NFL to say something like that, run to set up the pass. Because I have seen horrendo teams at running the ball that just decide we can't run the ball. We're just going to throw short passes and all of that, and we're going to use the pass to set up the run, or just the pass to move the dang football. The pass, that's up to pass if you watch these good offenses. I mean, the amount of completions out there for these quarterbacks now that are extensions of the run game, basically, when you're just talking about layup-type throws, is it's pretty remarkable when you turn on the game these days and see you know these little check downs and the way they just scheme these guys in space and you get guys already on the move and on the run and misdirection. Uh, it's all really advanced stuff for that goes beyond just turning around and handing the ball off, but you still need to do, of course, to an extent, and you better prove you can do it, you know, when you, when you need a yard on fourth down or things like that. But it certainly shouldn't be the focal point of any team's modern offense to turn around and hand the ball off just because it's going to help you pass because it's not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is at a certain point, it just becomes like, you know, run to set up the pass. Now it's, Find a better – I mean, do you think, really think that the 49ers with Debo Samuel are running to set up the pass, or do you think they're just trying to move the football however they can? I mean, that team runs to set up the run, the way Shanahan schemes that thing and has so many different looks. Uh, certainly a unique challenge that they Yeah, do. that's what I'm saying is, you know, they, they find a way to move the dang football. Yes. I mean, this Cowboys team couldn't run it against – like five-man boxes down the stretch of the season. And then you would think, all right, well, if that's not working, the pass better be working. And that didn't work either. So nothing set up any anything else for this offense. And that was a major problem. All right. And so there's our list. We move on to another list. Uh, Cowboys birthdays for this week. We'll start off on Tuesday with Ray Horton who turned 62 years old. He played safety for the Cowboys from 1989 to 1992. And also, he was a defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and they, under Ken Wisenhunt, and there was just a thinking that if he became available uh, with Jason Garrett and they were teammates in 92, they'd team up. And then Dallas could have a defensive coordinator who, from one of their 90s Super Bowl teams who also ran – the 3-4 defense, and, you know, it just never panned out. On Wednesday, Dan Campbell, the man who Jason Witten replaced, he turns 46 years old, and he played with Dallas from 03 to 05. And uh, don't tell RJ, of course RJ's going to know this, but he is an Aggie because here's the thing, Sean. You, there are no former Aggies. They're Aggies for life, so... Like you would say, like in in where'd you go to college? Uh, Montclair. Montclair. We were the Red Hawks as our mascots. Okay, so you, so you can say you're a former Red Hawk. That's okay, but around here, no, you don't say former Aggie. They're Aggies for life. But uh, yeah, Dan Campbell, forty six on Wednesday. And we've had some a uh, couple Aggie shout outs in this episode, so 
yeah, I'm sure we'll get a positive note from Odell Tower about all of that. And happy birthday to Dan Campbell. On Wednesday, Dennis Thurman, uh, of course, from Thurman's Thieves, turned 66 years old. He was with the Cowboys from 78 to 85. And on Saturday, John Fitzgerald turned 74. He played center for Dallas from 71 to 80. So he, the, the great days of Roger Staubach, well, really, of 71. So that would have been Craig Morton, Roger Staubach, and Danny White. And on Sunday, Jameez Olawali, fullback, turns 33 years old, played with Dallas from 2018 to 2019. May we all find someone that like, that loves us as much as the Cowboys love their need to carry a fullback. <laughs> yeah, and he was a guy that was uh, making the case to be on the roster going back to, I believe, 2016. Um he was, uh, he was from North Texas, and so there was that local interest. Um, and, yeah, he finally made it to the Cowboys in 2018, and he's on the roster for a couple of seasons. So, Jameez Alawali. little pass-catching ability and, you know, some versatility at that position if you are going to carry a fullback, see if they can do some different things for you. And he certainly did that in the limited opportunities he had. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. And before we get out of here, Sean, uh, I would be remiss if I uh, did not uh, mention the passing of former Dallas Cowboys running backs coach Gary Brown, who uh, passed away at the age of 52 following a battle with cancer. Um, he was with the Cowboys as the running backs coach from 2013 to 2019 and he was also a former Penn State Nittany Lion uh, drafted in 1991 the eighth round to the Houston Oilers where he played until 95 played with the Chargers in 97 and then with the Giants from 98 to 99 Gary Brown gone at the age of 52 and by all accounts a Terrific coach, but also just a better person and a vibrant personality to be around. I've seen reactions come in on social media from people that are with the official Cowboys media team and also the affiliate radio stations, the affiliate newspapers, publications, everybody that even had anything to do or from a distance or up close with Gary Brown has had something positive to say about him. So you can imagine what his players and his family uh, feel about him and so they're feeling that loss along with the rest of Cowboys Nation and his Penn State family, and he played some for the Giants uh, as well, and everybody around the league saddened by this news. Yes, and he also, while he was with the Cowboys in the first couple seasons, he his daughter, Melina, battled leukemia, and the Cowboys in 2017 actually had a bone marrow drive for her at the star. And that's just part of the humanity of this game and really of this franchise that, um, that, that just, you know, makes the loss of Brown wide hits you the way it does. For sure. Yeah. We're all guilty of being, you know, critical of this team in terms of, you know, why don't they just operate more like, you know, just machine-type uh, organization where, you know, oh, this guy's not doing his job, replace him. You know, why don't why don't they fire coaches more often? Why don't they uphold the standard? Well, you know, there's so much more that goes on at the start that we never even hear about, and that's with having an outstanding media team that brings us as much as they possibly can from what goes on at this team. But that still is just a surface in terms of, you know, what the Jones family has built, trying to make that family atmosphere all around the Cowboys and, so, yeah, we can be critical all we want of if that's conducive to, you know, building a winning football team and they're doing the best they can. And Gary Brown was a part of some winning football teams with the Cowboys, though. You know, he coached DeMarco Murray. He coached Ezekiel Elliott. So he certainly did his part. But, yeah, this team is not going to be so quick to, uh, you know, to move on from anybody because they've really built a great atmosphere where everybody that works there feels like part of the family. And that's why Gary Brown touched so many lives of, 
the players, the staff, and the media as well. Definitely. And so Gary Brown passes away at the age of 52. Well, Sean, uh, it's been quite the ride this episode, and I hope that our listeners enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe to the blog to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And hey, listen to um, another Monday show, First and Ten with Dave Sturcio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis on the Blog and the Boys Podcasting Network. Tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, I will be on the BTB Roundtable again, and we'll see who joins RJ Ochoa and myself on that particular po- uh, broadcast, which you can find at blogandtheboys.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. What about you, Sean? I am at Sean Martin NFL. Always fun to be on here with you, Mark. Another fun episode, as you said. And with each episode we do, we're getting closer to the draft. So certainly excited for that. Ba-dum, ba-dum, the draft. All right, so there it is. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.